We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, we are delighted to be joined by a musician, composer, and fellow podcast host, the host of the Politics of Sound podcast, Ian Carnegie. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Good morning. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, I hope you're uh, well also on this uh, somewhat uh, fine morning. Indeed. Yeah, everything's good. Um, So the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is... What first made you uh, become interested in doing a podcast about politics and music? Well, the podcast thing for me, uh, I think, passed me by a little bit. It's been going for some years, as you know, and uh, I was obviously aware of it. But I came to it rather uh, via a rather unusual route, I suppose. Uh, I'm always, as you said... Uh, looking into musical things. I'm a musician and uh, I have a little recording studio here. And for some years I'd wanted to get hold of a, a particularly wonderful instrument called the hand pan, or it was, it's also being called the hang drum. And this is a, a thing like a, a steel drum. It looks a bit like a, a sort of spaceship with domes in it. And each one of these domes has a, has a different um, semitone or a tone, whatever, in it. And it's got this beautiful, beautiful mellifluous sound. And uh, so this was uh, just over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, 18 months ago, I actually managed to get my hand on one and, and, and bought one and brought it back to the studio. And that was all fine. And then I thought, well, I want to hear about different people's experiences because the hangpan is quite niche. And just by Googling it, found this wonderful podcast called The Hangpan Podcast, which is... Um, uh, presented by this this great guy Sylvan Paslier, and uh, he has the most mellifluous voice. I suppose to go with a hangpan, but he's a he's a great guy, and uh, I I really got interested in this. And then within a few weeks, was thinking, well, I think I should do a podcast. So what what am I interested in? Well, obviously music, but uh, I always have been passionately interested in in politics, and not just the policies of it, but also the personalities. And when I was listening to these people on the media, whether it be on the television or the radio, I'd constantly be thinking, well, this is all very well, but what about all the records that you like? Why don't you, don't talk about fiscal policy. Let's, let's talk about the stuff that matters. Which albums have you bought? And um, nobody was asking this. So this sort of idea had been ruminating for some time and then it, it sort of just the whole thing sort of fell in my lap sort of fully formed really I, I literally it was one of those moments where I woke up in the middle of the night and thought I know what we could do this would be a really interesting idea and uh, let's have this idea of of asking politicians about their their favorite albums their three favorite albums and um, before I sort of got any further down the line and, and constructed it I um, I just got up at that time in the middle of the night and went down to my studio where I am now and um, just wrote this little piece of music this little sting which has now become the theme tune of it with the strings and just got a whole lot of sounds up and thought well that will do that's nice so we got the music now and wrote a few other little sort of 
uh, linking linking pieces, I suppose. And um, yeah, by the next morning, I suppose I got up again and maybe a little bit more tired than I should have been, and uh, thought, I think we've got the the idea for this. And so that was where it sort of, sort of all started. And so that must have been in April of uh, 2019. So um, do you, how much do you think the, the albums that someone listens to tells you about someone? And have you noticed any patterns in sort of what politicians listen to, what albums, what they, what they like, what their taste in music is? That's a really good question. Um, I think the short answer is I haven't noticed too many patterns. When I first did the podcast, started to present the podcast, I did wonder whether politicians would pick overtly political pieces, albums, music with a message. But in general, with some exceptions, they haven't. I think maybe they the only pattern I can detect really is one that that music for a lot of them is, is is escapism. They're passionate musicians, some of them. Some of them not so much. Some of them are very good musicians, but they are um, they, they love to sort of get away from what is obviously a, a very pressurised job. So uh, yeah, I, I suppose I've just seen how much they they just love to get away from the, the great problems of what they're dealing with by listening to music, which very often I've noticed is from many years ago. It's something which has travelled with them. So often they're talking about music that they may have loved in their teens, and some of them are 40, 50 years old. Um, not all of them, but uh, yeah, it's music that's, that's had a long journey ride with them, I would say. Um, when we were uh, talking before, when um, we were speaking before uh, the recording of the uh, podcast, uh, we were talking about um, the way that uh, often politicians sometimes feel like performers, and you know that there is there is a link between um, performance uh, and politics. Do you think that the way that we perceive politicians is as performers now, as opposed to in the past, where they might have been seen as, oh, this is just someone who runs the country rather than a performer as such. It, it, you make a very good point. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of the other ideas I had about this podcast because I wanted to actually find out more about the personalities of these people. I think it it worries me in a way how we have come to see politicians. Of course, we should be holding politicians to account. But in a way, we were... I think the interview has become so adversarial and uh, almost gladiatorial um and i'm not uh, there is a place for that of course and I, I i appreciate that and i i enjoy that as much as the next person but there seemed to be in my heart anyway i felt that they're these are still human beings and um yeah i i, I wanted to maybe a strike a slightly gentler figure in what i was trying to to garner from them and I think that 
I think has been successful. They, they, they seem very happy to talk. And, and in terms of whether they are frustrated performers, well, well, yeah, I think some of them possibly are. Um, and some of them were indeed. Uh, Pete Wishart, I don't think he's a frustrated performer. He's, uh, he's from the SNP. He's a wonderful uh, musician as well as a great MP. Uh, and I interviewed him earlier this year. And he was, uh, I mean, he's experienced pop music at a very very high level he was a member of run rig he was uh, in the formative days also of big country and was playing massive stadiums you know they run rig was supporting genesis and you know so he he really knew the whole thing but now he's a passionate politician and uh, so yeah i i think um another wonderful uh, guest of mine was thangham debonair who is the uh, labor mp for bristol west she's a, a very fine musician a cellist she came from a very fine sort of musical pedigree uh and uh, was a professional cellist and indeed still is part of a a string quartet uh, of like-minded parliamentary figures uh kathy newman who presents channel 4 news um about to go to times radio i think is uh, the viola player in that they're called the statutory instruments which i think is a great name so uh, and kevin brennan as well who is uh the cardiff west labor mp who who's a great musician a guitarist a singer he's a he's a great guy and he is um yeah, I mean, he, he sung on the podcast as well, which is another idea. He played guitar and sung and played harmonica. And and that's, I think, it at, at its best when they actually show their own musical uh, skills and talents. And, and then when we're really showing these people uh, as three-dimensional human beings, which, of course, is, is what they are. And their, their music says a lot about them, I think, um, the, one of the, my favourite uh, performances was definitely John Whittingdale, the um, conservative politician, uh, who uh, is is a well. He has a reputation. I don't think it's quite this one dimensional, but he has a reputation as a great heavy metal fan, and he did pick stuff like Rainbow and Meatloaf and all this, and then decided he wanted to actually do a version of of Bat Out of Hell. And I don't know if anyone has heard that episode, but uh, if you listen to any episodes, do go to John's episode because it's absolutely fantastic. And uh, wow, what, what a performance that is. Who has been the sort of guest that you've sort of been most surprised by what they picked? I don't think... It's an interesting question because I, I don't think I go in with any preconceptions about what they they would pick. It for me, it just opens up a window onto them and what they and what they think. And um, so, yeah, no no, no real surprises. Um, I, I recently, in fact, the, the latest episode was um, Mark Pack, who Dr. Mark Pack, who is the co-leader and uh, president of the Liberal Democrats, he's co-leader along with Ed Davey after Joe Swinson lost a seat at the 2019 election, and uh, he picked uh, a song called "Good as Gold" by uh, the Beautiful South, and indeed was saying that he feels that there are some elements of it that might be uh, useful as an anthem for the. Liberal Democrats, uh, which is interesting, and but he did concede that um, the line uh, "good as gold, stupid as mud" was probably not exactly the lyric that should be kept in in any sort of uh, song that they would do. But uh, yeah, I I don't think so. Um, 
I, I don't think I've been particularly surprised. I've just been fascinated, and um, clearly listeners have been uh, as well. Um, you um, mentioned that um, the music that has been picked has generally not been um, overtly political, but as someone who obviously works in the music industry, how political do you think music is? Or do you think that there is a, a, a divide between um, the art and the politics of the, the, the person making them? Well, I mean, yes, in a way, but I, I, I think if you're asking about connections between music and, and politics, um, the connections go back as, as long as through history as you like to, to look. M- music is about people expressing emotion and expressing and conveying their environment. And I suppose... Um, environments are created in part by political decisions and you can take this as far back as you like i mean if just thinking back to beethoven um his third symphony which was written in 1803 he was um hugely admiring of napoleon bonaparte and um because he felt in some ways that this guy was a sort of man of the people and this was very important to Beethoven. But then uh, Beethoven learned that Bonaparte had uh, decreed himself emperor and um, a very famous story. He then, he'd written this wonderful dedication on the, the manuscript and then in a fit of pique, he sort of ripped it out and crossed out the name of Napoleon and um, in fact the, the manuscript you can still see it if you look online and uh, Beethoven was known for his uh, mercurial behaviour obviously one of the greatest musical geniuses ever uh, so he he was very connected with the sort of political environment and what was going on around him and I, I think um, and also I, I was talking about Thangham Debonair uh, who came on the cellist and uh, Labour MP and she picked uh, an extraordinary piece um, by the Russian composer uh, Dmitry Shostakovich who uh, Russian composer who uh, in the 1930s um, wrote this opera Lady Macbeth of the Matense District which was in many ways a great success but then was on one night uh, Joseph Stalin actually attended a performance of this this opera and was horrified by it and felt that it undermined what was going on and walked out and then of course all of the press just turned on on Shostakovich and uh, so his response to this was well obviously it was devastating for him because other fellow musicians had to then go along with the party line which was to denounce his music I mean it has since then been seen for the masterpiece that it is this opera but uh, then um, he, he then wrote his possibly most famous symphony which was uh, the symphony number no. 5 uh, which if you if anyone hasn't heard is, is the most extraordinary thing it's this wonderful it has military elements in the music but they're so bittersweet and slightly sardonic and I don't think the Russian um, powers that be could really see through this and it was it was it's really beautiful incredible music and he actually puts underneath it a, a dedication or a little transcription which says uh, a Soviet artist's response to just criticism 
which it kind of was and it kind of wasn't. Um, and he also spoke about uh, this is uh, and also coming back to Thangam Debenesh, he was saying she picked Shostakovich's seventh symphony. And um, that's an extraordinary story. That's uh, about the siege of Leningrad when the people were literally starving. And, you know, they, they picked up instruments and they were playing this music. And you could, you, you know, the, the the Germans could hear this this music being played. In fact, they played it over speakers and all this sort of stuff. And, and, and as Thangham said, you know, to, to hear this music being played must have been terrifying because it, it, it's music of such power and uh, fortitude. So you can certainly, classical music in, in has, has so many strong elements and connections with that and then you can then you can then pick it up in in different areas um afro-american spirituals of course describing people's conditions the hardships of slavery of course this is so important at the moment where we currently are uh and then that sort of transcends into blues billy holiday a song like strange fruit um hip-hop is of course very politically engaged and i think always will be uh, and, and in fact, one of the um, one of the episodes recently of, of a sort of side uh, product that we do, which is a thing called uh, this little podcast called The Politics of Sound Bites, where I speak to people who are also involved in politics sort of now. I, I suppose they're, they're very current in the news, but they aren't necessarily going to pick three albums. Uh, and that was a, a journalist and campaigner called Stefan Simanovitz, who was organizing a thing called the Coronavision Song Contest. Uh, and there were some very funny entries, indeed. Uh, there, was a, there was a lot of satire going on there. But equally, um, uh, there's some very serious political messages going on. So, yeah, there's, there's always been that connection. And I, I think there always will. It's about people expressing their, their emotions and expressing and uh, communicating about their, the essence of where they are and, and their surroundings. You say that um, music's always been political in some way. Um, do you feel like music's maybe popular music is less political than it used to be in, in the last 20 years? No, not, not really. Um, I think in many ways, if you, if you see, I, I, was, I was talking about the rise of, of hip hop and obviously rap is a big thing. And if you look at the, the lyrics of a lot of that, uh, that type of, of thing, it has opened up an enormous amount of possibility for people to express themselves. And uh, I, I would say not. It depends. With, with music now really being um, communicated through, through online, through the internet, um, it's opened up possibilities for everyone to, com- to present an argument i suppose yes of course there's always going to be love songs there's always going to be songs talking about uh, people in in great situations uh, very opulent uh, and that that will always be part of it love is always going to be part of it but protest is also going to be part of it people trying to present a political argument in, in whatever way um it, it's always going to be like that um so yeah by the way, if you can hear, there's a little jingle going on in the background. That's the washing machine just stopping. Uh, but it, it, as it's in our household, it, it, it actually plays um, it plays the tune from Schubert's The Trout Quintet. I don't know why. So if you, if you buy a Samsung washing machine, everybody, you get a little bit of Schubert thrown in. 
It's not just this house. Um, uh, mentioned Schubert, and um, a bit before we were talking, uh, you were talking about um, Beethoven um, and Shostakovich. Do you think that whether it be classical musicians or modern musicians, that sometimes it is difficult to enjoy particular pieces of work if the political opinions of the um, composer or the artist are perhaps different from your own or, or in many ways repugnant, because, of course, one of the great debates that has um, raged for metic beliefs... Do, do you think that that's something that you have to um, uh, attempt to, to, to qualify if, you know, as in the case of Wagner, um, listening to his music but him being a, a horrible person, or do you think that it, it, it doesn't matter so much as, as long as you can enjoy the music? It's a really good question. Um, I can only speak for me. Um I'll come to the Wagner question in a, in a moment. In, in terms of what someone's political beliefs may or not may or may not be, it would depend. Um, in the main, I I wouldn't let that, that affect my if I if I love their music, um, then I would love their music. Um, I I would find it very difficult personally to. I, I couldn't connect, and I think most people will be the same with any anything which was I felt was racist, sexist, and I think most people will be the same there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit uncomfortable with that. Uh, well, actually, I'm not a bit uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable with that. Um, you, you, you talk about Wagner. Um, Wagner, whatever his political beliefs, is... Uh, a composer that uh, attracts uh, very strong passions on on either side of the debate, and uh, I mean his his music could be described as quite extreme, and his operas, as you probably know, are possibly I don't know of any longer, but the the longest operas ever ever written, and and they're still performed, uh, and I hope they will be again after COVID has hopefully gone at Bayreuth and. Um, these are works of extraordinary, um, extraordinary power. He was a man of his time, and um, I obviously nobody would agree. Well, I hope nobody would agree with his political affiliations. But sometimes these things are maybe presented in slightly simplistic terms. Um, just to put this in context, Wagner is a composer who's music has always attracted huge audiences a few years ago at the BBC proms uh, Baron Boyne conducted the entire ring cycle which um, is the are these four operas which I think to hear the whole thing in one go would take I think it takes a whole day if not slightly longer and the tickets for that sold out in well in record time you know in minutes so that's four performances. You get 5,000 people in the in the Albert Hall, I think, around that sort of thing. So that's, you know, you're looking at 20,000 people straight away. Now, I can't believe that all those people would in any way, or indeed any of them, uh, would would have sympathy with what his political 
beliefs were at that time, who knows what they would have been now. And um, so would I still listen to Wagner? Uh, yes. I have to admit he, he isn't one of my favourite composers, but uh, I think it sometimes has to be separated. But then when we we look at now at what's been happening in the last 24, 48 hours in Bristol with the ripping down of the statue of Colston for good reason. Um, people are reevaluating and saying, look, this isn't acceptable. We have to, this debate clearly should have happened a long time before. Now, would that happen with Wagner? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I suppose the art itself is still extraordinary art. And, some artists, whether they be musicians or painters or whatever, have maybe they have had views which could be seen as unpalatable by today's standards and by any normal standards that we would think of. But the work, I hope, would still stand up. And if we were to live, if that we've been talking about Beethoven, we've been talking about all sorts of other composers. If, if we lived in that time, I wonder if we, we saw the way that these these composers would have treated women. In fact, women composers at that time were virtually unheard of. And, in, and indeed, still now, there is... Obviously, equality is something which we all fight for, but there are still not enough female women conductors, composers... And the so you've had a very wide range of guests on your podcast, going back to that. Um, how do you choose your guests and who is your dream guest, if you could sort of get anyone and they'd be guaranteed to come on? <laughs> wow. Um, well, it, it, how do we get the guests? Well, I, I, have to, um, I have to thank my first ever guest in part for this, who um, is the former editor of Brexit, Brexit uh, Central, Jonathan Isaby. Uh, who is someone I've known for many, many years. And uh, Jonathan's a, a great, great guy. And um, he, I got in touch with him very soon after I decided to do the podcast and said, look, would you, would you like to come on? And he, he immediately said yes. And then, um, and he's, the, he's the great, uh, greatest hits guru. And it was all greatest hits by Pet Shop Boys. And he's also, he's got every single edition of the now now that's what i call music and now that's what i call christmas um cds and i I think he's probably the only person who has he's very proud of it so um he was uh he was great but he he knows a lot of people and in the early days he uh I i suppose it was a combination of of him introducing me to various people who i knew of anyway but a lot of them sometimes it's word of mouth so um, I, I wrote to people, I contacted people, and um, I think then what they tended to do was then they were sort of maybe sitting in the commons and maybe somebody next to them said, you know, what have you done today? Oh, I had I was on this crazy podcast where I'd speak about my three favourite albums. I go, oh, that sounds nice. I think I'll have a go here. So um, that's how that that happened. And and the guests have been... Um, I, I don't think I, c- I can say I've had a favourite guest because they're all so different and I find them all incredibly engaging. I, I, it's, it's wonderful to speak to these people. Um, do I have a dream guest? Um, well, I, it, not really. Um, I mean, I, I, would, I would love to get Boris on. 
Um, I very much doubt he'll he'll come on. Actually, no, he he maybe he will. Um, but to get to you know, we've had some very very high profile politicians on already, and some very exciting guests lined up to to come on the show. Um, who I'm currently in negotiation with. Uh, in fact, later today I'm um, interviewing the father of the house, uh, Sir Peter Bossomley. Looking forward to that. Uh, but a, a, a dream guest. Uh, I would. I'd like to speak to Lisa Nandy. Uh, she's a big fan of Britney Spears, apparently. Um, there's a possibility she may come on the show. I think she'd be very interesting. And um, but I also love speaking to politicians who are also musicians. That's fantastic. Um, and when they perform, the other thing I should actually say, which is um, I think a very important part of the show, is that the in general, instead of just playing tracks from their favorite albums. Um, I tend to perform them myself, or and or perform them in in collaboration with with a, a pool of musicians, very talented guys who who I know, and um, so we do our own little little versions of things. And uh, when it's really great is when we can sort of play along with a, either a politician who's singing or a political figure. Um, so yeah, um, dream guests—they're all dream guests. Um, we're coming up uh, to the end of the podcast now. It's been um, great to speak to you, Ian. It's been a very interesting conversation. And I have one final uh, question for you. If there was any classical or, or pop or, or, or any genre of music that you think has been grossly overlooked that you could ensure that more people listen to, uh, what piece of music would it be? So are we talking about a genre here, Will? Are we, are we talking about uh, a particular piece? Uh, an individual piece of music. Well, an individual piece of music or a, a genre, if, if, if you prefer. Wow. Uh, I can only talk about the music that I love. And um, my musical taste is, I suppose you won't be surprised to hear, and I think most musicians would be the same, is incredibly wide. Um I can I can only talk about um, a, a, a particular album which I've come back to again and again and again, um, which is not particularly known. Although to those who know it, they they love it. Um, I'm a, a huge devotee of uh, the American guitarist Pat Metheny, uh, who is pretty well known, uh, and he's a really questing adventurous musician who seems to sort of change his musical character almost on every album and he's done about 40 albums and I have them all um and he's you know he's been a very prominent figure for many years and whenever he comes to to the UK uh, I go and see him and he's done everything from little duet albums uh, to solo acoustic guitar albums, to one album called Zero Tolerance for Silence, which he doesn't really speak about, which he just literally went into the studio one day and just, well, it's unlistenable. He just turned the the amp up to about 11 and and uh, it's, it's music to get an answer out of somebody. It's just unbelievably difficult. The first track is about 20 minutes and I've never got beyond about a minute and a half. It's You get an answer out of it, out of somebody with it. It's awful. But he, in the middle of all of this, he did this, absolutely beautiful album uh called secret story which is from 1992 and uh that album is 
is perfect uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I, as well as being a musician, uh, when I'm playing, I also um, do a lot of orchestrations and um, the, the, the way that, that the band fits in with the, these beautiful orchestrations, uh, the whole sort of soundscape is beautiful. So if any of your listeners haven't heard The Secret Story by Pat Metheny, um it starts. It even starts with this sort of Cambodian choir singing, and then this gorgeous guitar and orchestra string sort of vista opens up. It's um, it's a real musical journey. It's about a, it's quite long. It's about an hour and ten minutes or so, I suppose. But uh, that that music's been with me all the time, and um, and also the, the Bach B minor Mass, Johann Sebastian Bach's B minor Mass. Those two pieces, I have them, then I'm fine. Uh, well, I hope that anyone who hasn't heard them will uh, ensure that they uh, check them out. Uh, thank you again for coming on, Ian. If anyone wants to um, uh, find uh, the Politics of Sound podcast uh, or follow it or, or, or support you in any way, uh, how can they do that? Well, we're on, if you just put into Google Politics of Sound podcast, um, then you will see us. Uh, we're on Buzzsprout um, and all of the hosting uh, services. Um, do follow us on Twitter, uh, which is um, which is politics underscore sound, and uh, that would great. That would be great. We'd love to. Um, we'd love to see you've done that. And uh, also, the politics of sound uh, is going to be going live again. We we had some live shows uh, lined up, which of course sadly had to be shelved because of uh, the coronavirus COVID nineteen situation, but. We were never defeated. We will be back. And with a live band and live guests and um, do do listen to the podcast and look on Twitter and uh, all the news will be there. Uh, excellent. I hope that our listeners do that. Uh, I, I'm sure they will. If, if, they've enjoy, if they've enjoyed this, if they've listened so far, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, <laughs> that they will. Thank you once again for coming on. <laughs> for coming Thank on you both. The all the best. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Don't forget that you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or YouTube. You can follow us at Debated Podcast on Twitter, like us, Debated Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to email us, either about appearing or making a comment or reaction to the episode you've heard or any other episodes, then email us, thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.